This week's uh, reading, that means on Shabbat, we will be reading a section uh, which is referred to as Chaye Sada, the life of Sarah. Sarah, who is the father of uh, Abraham. And uh, from this point on, the, uh, there is a discussion that when she died, Abraham was looking for a, uh, a place where he was going to bury her, and he found a uh, cave in Hebron. And there are many aspects to this one section here, in addition to many others, but I think there's enough right here for us to cover this morning. Uh, firstly, the Zohar asks, why does the Torah enumerate the years of how long she lived? In fact, very extensively, when it says, and the lifetime of Sarah was 100 year, 7 years, 20 year, where just no other place does it mention the death of a woman. As if the Zohar is, uh, is indicating that usually the men in the Torah are the significant ones. I mean, this is the impression we might, uh, we might uh, uh, come up with from what the Zohar has to say. But obviously it's not correct because there is no... There is no uh, uh, I mean, the Torah would not give this reading a name, Chaye Sarah, if she was that insignificant. So obviously that is not uh, the answer. Another question that Rashi raises right here uh, when it states that she died right after the Akedah, Akedat Yitzchak. Akedat Yitzchak was the binding of Isaac. And Rashi says that when uh, Sarah heard that Abraham had taken uh, when Abraham had taken Isaac to be slaughtered on the altar, that she died that day. In fact, she did die that day, the day that he was uh, taken on the altar to be slaughtered. She couldn't handle it, and therefore she died on that day. That would be very difficult uh, for us to, uh, to accept. I mean, if we take Rashi's interpretation literally, that we're discussing a woman who is not merely just uh, a woman, part of a, a historical account of, it, of what happened from the time of creation, as you, everyone here present uh, understands that the Torah is actually uh, the code by which we can draw out or uh, achieve for ourselves uh, a little extra energy to provide us in our daily living. If, and that was the purpose of the Zohar, to unravel the code. And therefore, to understand that Sarah had died because of the, uh, the Akedat Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, uh, comes, comes to us... Difficult to, to you know to grasp this kind of a concept, and there are many who question, as I've just raised that question. Insofar as the, in fact, to strengthen the question, to strengthen the question, the Zohar asks, why, why, in fact, is there this specific enumeration? 
127. Because the Zohar going on, on the basis, going on the basis that this is not a recording of history and the uh, changing of the uh, wording, where it says, if you noticed when I began reading, it says, Me'ashana, 100 year. Hebrew, the plural for year is Shanim. And it says 100 year in the singular, Ve'esrim Shana in the singular. And Sheva Shanim, and Sheva, and seven in the plural. I mean, why, why seven? Why seven in the, in the uh, plural? Why not 100? And why enumerator? Why not just say 127 years? So, the Zohar, and I'd like to read that so that, because uh, it is before, before the rising of the morning star, and for those of you not familiar, the period when the uh, when the uh, light force of God uh, reaches this uh, this earth reaches man and uh, is before the, from twelve o'clock until the uh, rising of the morning star, in which there is a complete uh, a complete layer of uh, protection that anyone connecting with with the light force at this time, need not worry that uh, maybe he's not prepared for all of the energy that is flowing. And since it is, uh, uh, the morning start today is 529, so we will take advantage. I, if you weren't conscious of it, if I just read the Zohar and you were not conscious of it, I would have been depriving you of, of an additional benefit because we know uh, the action without the consciousness, the action without the consciousness it's like the Zohar says, prayer without the consciousness. It's not a prayer, even though you're praying, and even though we're studying, but if you weren't conscious that now we want to tap the light of, uh, of, when, of when the presence of God is felt, is felt in, a, in a secured, in a, um, in a balanced manner for anyone to just tap, and that's why many people or capitalists would always rise uh, during the evening before the morning star so they can connect and certainly the Zohar is the uh, is the uh, is the protection that we certainly uh, certainly feel we need uh, today with all of the problems that we encounter says here that she lived 127 years and then the next verse it says and Sarah died she died in Kiryat Arba that's the place where the in Hebron it's another name for Hebron Kiryat Arba he Hebron this is Hebron it's called the city of four the Eretz Canaan in the land of Canaan and I quote, I read now from the Zohar, I'm reading the Aramaic because that makes our connection uh, to, to, the, uh, to the extreme of its connection with the reading of the Aramaic. 
and I'll translate. Whatever is stated here does not say uh, by uh, recorded by any other woman by any other women. Because here by Sarah, not only does it state that she died, which also is is uh, recited by other women, but it states the uh, how long, which does not state by Miriam, for example, it says Miriam died, Devar Meneket Yitzchak, and many others, many other women, where it says they died. However, here it enumerates, it, uh, it states specifically the, how, how old she was, which does not state by any other woman. And also, it tells us uh, uh, the place where she was buried. Says the Zohar, and it also tells us where she was buried. To enlighten us, do I have a kshedebakolnashyalma? What was in Sarah, what was contained within Sarah? What, what, the, uh, what her place in this world was, as opposed to all other women, there was none like her. Vitema Miriam, if you say what about Miriam, diktivatamacham Miriam vitikavasham. It says that uh, Miriam died. As you now I'm repeating what uh, now the Zohar is stating what I had already mentioned previously. Begin In fact, the reason why it's mentioning, and this is a distinction, and this gives us an insight into what we here this morning hope to achieve. What we want. What, we, what do we want from this session here? We certainly haven't come come just to gather some information because there's more information that I can give you in an hour and a half and you have much more in the library. But we've come here to, to gather, you know, gather a little energy from, from this uh, session. It says, it says the Zohar, the only reason why Miriam is mentioned, the death of Miriam is mentioned, because it's telling us of a tragedy that occurred with the death of Miriam. That when Miriam died, the be'er, uh, the well that accompanied a well, literally accompanied the Jews throughout their sojourn in the desert. Imagine a well. Well, we have to dig a well, bring up the water if we're in the desert or wherever we might be. Here, there was no necessity for the Jews to uh, to, to dig wherever they uh, camped for water, but there was a well literally walking with them. There are many... A few other aspects uh, that we were discussing. That's one of the aspects. Anyway, therefore, why is uh, why in what way does Sarah differ from the from Miriam? Because the death of Miriam was to indicate that now that well stopped flowing for the Jews. Now they had difficulty with water, as it is stated in the uh, in the Bible, and therefore. That is the only reason. Sarah's reason, the reason for mentioning Sarah, is another reason. But still, it doesn't. It doesn't state how many years she lived. So it's still different than Sarah. But another difference is that the women that are mentioned are only referring to a tragic event. So what? What is? What is going on here? What? What does the? What does the? Uh, 
Torah want to tell us here. I remember in uh, when uh, we lived extensively in Israel, and uh, we used to go every month, since we lived in Israel, we used to go every month, as it is stated in this week's uh, uh, reading of the Zohar, too, to go uh, connect with the uh, Tzadikim, you know, Rabbi Shimon, Hebron, and so forth. So I, I'll never forget, but uh, we used to take the, uh, the boys were, uh, were very small, and uh, their friends used to say, where are, where are you going? Well, we're going to the house where uh, Rabbi Shimon lives, where uh, Abraham lives, where they live. They live in this house. In other words, the the uh, the mausoleum, and of course the uh, the uh, grave site of uh, the Ari. I mean, just a a tombstone over there. But he lives in that house. Funny kind of a house, but he lives in that house. <coughs> it was a nice explanation, but in effect, in effect, it was true. It was true. And here, the Zohar mentions the uh, this place where she was buried. Was a different kind of a place. What was different about this place? That when Sarah died, Sarah died. An unusual uh, discussion that uh, that uh, that takes place. That when 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 Sarah died and Abraham was bringing her to uh, to this place to be buried, how did he know that's where he should bury her? Asks the Zohar, why here? Why not somewhere else? So he said, so the Zohar says, well, he was, uh, if you may have read this in the, uh, in the uh, Wheels of a Soul, I, I bring this down that before a person dies, before a person dies, he comes to Hebron, he sees the light, if you recall, and this is in fact uh, what many people recite in, in, the, in the cases of clinical death case of clinical death, they all, uh, where the, the person had been declared legally dead, in fact, the person then experiences, uh, you know, observing himself or herself on the bed, and uh, they're trying to revive her, and, he, and this person who's unconscious or in a coma can recite exactly what everyone was talking about, and of course, this is impossible. But this has already been ascertained that there is such a thing as clinical death. And they will all say that they experienced coming to a cave, and at the end of the cave there's a light, and they wanted very much to, uh, to, uh, to uh, run towards this light, to, to, and they want to become attached to the light. And then the voice comes out and says, no, not yet, and, and they recede from the light, etc. And this is the story that there's always says about, about, uh, the, uh, about this cave. That Avraham, when he entered the cave, he saw the same idea. He saw the uh, the uh, form of Adam, as it is also stated in the Zohar, and therefore he um, he um, he knew that this was the place. Now, another very interesting thing is mentioned in in this uh, Zohar. I'm, I'm not, I want to give you more information, so I'm not going through uh, each reading just to connect me with it, and then I, I just give it to you orally, that when Abraham brought Sarah to be buried there, and listen to the story carefully, it's just, this week is, uh, is important, in fact, I'm 
deviating a little from the actual reading. And it says that um, when Hava, the wife of uh, Adam, who was also buried in, in the same place, saw Sarah coming in, she left. She said, I could, I could, not, I could not bear to, to stay or be buried in the same place as uh, Sarah. Why? Because it is only due to, the, to, my, to my convincing Adam to eat from the tree of knowledge that the world continues on with suffering. And since she was such a righteous woman, and to have her now sitting next to me in this cave, right, uh, I, I would feel the embarrassment, and it, would, it was so great that she walked out. She walked out. Continues the Zohar, that uh, she walks out, and Sarah says, I will pray for you. I will pray for you. And uh, by my praying, this somehow will alleviate, will alleviate the the uh, my presence being a, a thorn, because I would constantly uh, be reminding you of, of my righteousness. This is the conversation that's going on now in this cave, in this not cave, but uh, the mausoleum as we see it today in Hebron is a mausoleum, but they're all, they're all underneath. Uh, they're buried. We're talking about buried people, supposedly. And uh, with those words, Eve, Chava, returns and feels now content to be buried now in this cave. All very strange. Right? And one other aspect that we want to cover, and that is the Zohar begins with the, uh, this reading with the story of Vaisa et Yona v'yatileu elayam v'yam hayam mizafo. You all know the story of Jonah the whale where God wanted him to uh, tell the people that how evil they were, they should uh, change their ways, become do the tshuva, do repentance, etc. And he did not want to assume this responsibility. And so he ran away. He ran away. And the Zohar says, and then of course, when he was on his boat, a storm came, and uh, they realized that Jonah was the, uh, was the cause of this uh, apparent immediate sinking of the boat, and therefore they threw him overboard, and he was swallowed up by a whale. So. And the Zohar says, and this is the first first uh, paragraph on this on this portion. Here we have to look into my tama arishat yama alei diona v'lo arishat alei ara. Now we know there are earthquakes. We know there are tidal waves. Why, why did God choose to this method? of creating a situation of uh, where he's on a boat and now, now there's a storm training up and, uh, and everyone's going to drown and, and therefore they realize him. Why not, why, not, uh, why not perform the same idea, the same story on land? That's what the Zohar's question. Why? And in fact, the reason that it should have occurred on land, says the Zohar, 
and not on uh, not on the waters because he committed the sin where not on the water he committed the sin of not following the the uh, the beckoning of God uh, on on land. This is the Zohar's quote. Yama my achet bay Why why did the why did the water connect with him? And Zohar Zohar answers something very interesting. Very interesting. And what is the connection here to Sarah? It says this whole story here, says the Zohar, this whole story is not referring really to a uh, an incident where someone dies and you've got to purchase a burial site, which is what this section is, is, is dealing with, but rather it's dealing with a person when he goes to sleep, a person whose soul leaves him without being conscious that the soul has left, as, as in the evening, every time we go to sleep, our souls leave, and, says the Zohar, when they threw uh, Jonah overboard, Miyan his soul ran away, meaning it left his body. Meaning the soul left his body. In other words, the connection and the reason the Zohar says why I have brought this section in, to make a connection between Jonah and this section over here, Chayasara. And the reason why, and the reason why it happened on the in the water, says the Zohar also, because the water, not land, water is is the vessel, is the vessel by which the light force, the light force becomes revealed in water. And the Zohar says several things here which are almost impossible to understand but I, I but he there is a clue there and that that's what I'm alluding to he says he's talking about when the sa'ah is finished, then there is a form of resurrection. That's the answer. Well, that's the answer is why Jonah was, all of this incident with Jonah occurred with the whale. And this is the connection to Sarah. Obviously, you and as well as myself, when I read it, you know, just what, what is the Zohar talking about? Sa'ah. Sa'ah is a measurement. A measurement. A measurement of water. The place where we have Sa'ah mentioned in the Talmud and in the Zohar is uh, concerning mikveh. You all know what a mikveh is. You know, the place where women supposedly uh, become purified after their menstrual. There are even some men 
that go to the mikveh. It's not only for women. But, I mean, there's a complete distortion, unfortunately, about what this mikveh is about. And I just want to share something with you, because I, I feel that uh, once, we, once we discuss this, we throw it out into the cosmos, and I have seen things happen the moment, the moment it is discussed, the same way as I have repeatedly mentioned in my writings and uh, publicly, that, the, that Einstein's revelation of the theory of relativity only came about because just a few years before his revelation, Rabbi Ashlag revealed through the uh, Ariha Kadosh the theory of relativity. So it wasn't Einstein who was the first one to bring the theory of relativity. But who was Rabbi Ashlag? He certainly wasn't a Nobel Prize uh, winner uh, in physics. And so naturally nobody would uh, consider what he had to say. If we throw out this portion, this portion is talking about the whole Zohar. The theme of the Zohar is Sarah. Sarah is alive. She's having a discussion with uh, with uh, Chava, Eve, right? And this whole section, including the Zohar, is referring to Tchiat Hametim. Tchiat Hametim. What does it mean, Tchiat Hametim? Resurrection of the dead. This week, only this week, did all, all this seem to come together, plus some another dramatic event that happened this week that I'm going to read to you, which I had never seen. I mean, I, there's, there's tens of thousands of books, and in one lifetime it's not easy to, uh, to read everything there is to read. And also this week, I received a phone call, first time in 30 years that I'm involved with Kabbalah, Someone calls and asks me if uh, someone died and if I can resurrect the person. I mean, it's a little unusual request. I mean, I've never, I've never been asked to uh, resurrect it. I've been asked sometimes to make a prayer to resurrect the dead. <laughs> I've never been asked that before. Anyway, I'll go right to right to this revelation that I received this week and share it with you. If, for those of you not familiar with what resurrection of the dead means, unfortunately the uh, the book is almost going to come out, so you know I have to give it to you. You're going to have a preview of the uh, of the book. I, I mentioned the word sa'ah. It's a measurement. It's a measurement. And I mention this in conjunction with the Zohar, who explains this idea of Jonah in the water, and connecting this with Sarah. What, what, you know, like what's the connection? How do they all come together? This is essentially what I want to share with you this morning. Anyway, Rabbi, Rabbi Avram Azulai, Avram Azulai, was the Kabbalist who is responsible for all of you sitting here this morning. It was Avram Azulai who declared some 400 years ago, who was uh, born in uh, Fez, Morocco, declared that the age of Aquarius had begun and now everyone is permitted to study Kabbalah, although it didn't happen until 20 years ago that 
the center, which was also a closed place, just for select few, etc., etc., that we just opened up the doors, anybody want to learn Kabbalah, you're welcome to walk in. But he had already made that declaration. And he wrote this, uh, this book, uh, Chesed L'Avraham, and he's discussing mikveh, the mikveh, you know, the importance of it. And he says, oh, I should mention another part, because all of these things have to do. It says, in, uh, when, when Abraham is going to purchase the, this field, called the Ma'arat HaMachpelah, or Stei Ma'arat HaMachpelah, he speaks to uh, Ephron, he says, how much do you want? This is all in the first section. How much do you want? And uh, he says, oh, whatever you want to give. And he says, no, I want you to tell me a sum. And in uh, 15, verse 15, he says, you know what, my Lord, Ephro speaking to the owner of the field where Sarah's going, Sarah's going to be buried. Uh, give me Abba Meo Shekel Kesef. Give me 400 shekels of silver. What is it between you and me? Only bury your dead. Bury your, bury your dead over there. Bury your dead. Again, here's a story about a business deal being consummated, supposedly. Right, and they arrive at the figure of 400 shekel. He says 400 shekel. What, what, what does that mean? You know, I mean, how did he arrive? Why didn't he say 500? Why didn't he say 399? You know, why does he say, why does Ephraim say 400? Okay, now with, keep bearing in mind all of these little pieces of information that we just, uh, we just received from the Zohar. Uh, I'll read this little section. Says Rabbi Avraham Azulay, incidentally, the, the deceased member's name was also Avraham. It's, it's, it's the weirdest, weirdest story I can say that ever occurred in, in my life. I hope there'll be many, many other interest, well, interesting ones like this. And also, incidentally, it's Avraham Azulay's death anniversary. He died this week, too. So... I didn't have to be too much of a genius to realize that something is going on over here. I mean, nobody ever called me to resurrect the dead. And what you're going to hear now is, is incredible. And uh, the person's name is Avraham. He dies the same week as, uh, as, as this Avraham. I mean, it must be something. Anyway, he, tell, he gives us this information. Sheyesh Abba Meyot Kitot Hatuma Shore Alatumot. There are four hundred levels, classes, four hundred classes of Tuma, of uncleanliness. In order to remove these, and he'll discuss what, uh, what we're discussing when we're talking about Tumah. For those of you not familiar what Tumah means, it means uncleanliness, but it means Ruach He's shortly going to discuss that. Ruach What is Ruach A force. Ruach is a force. A force of Tumah. A force of uncleanliness. It's not just uncleanliness, but it means, for, it means levels of Tumah, and these are 
the things that make things go wrong. These are the things, Tumaj is stated in the Zohar and elsewhere, these are the forces that create all of the chaos. There are 400 levels of chaos in the world. Not 399, not 401, but 400 different aspects of chaos in the world. And in order, says the, says the, uh, says Avram Azulai, in order to remove this Ruach HaTumah, you need 40 Sa of Mayim. You need these, you need 40 of this Sa. If you remember, that was the Zohar mentioning the, this incident of Yonah. The connection with Sa'ah, which didn't make any sense, supposedly. Doesn't make any sense what the connection was. What does it have to do with, with, uh, with Sarah? You need 40 sa'a, that's what a mikvah is supposed to comprise, of 40 sa'a, this measurement, and we'll find, he'll tell us what, us what is the measurement of a sa'a, in order to remove all levels of tumah, all levels of forces of chaos. Tumah is chaos. Yeah, I think you probably learned this in the, in the classes. What does tumah mean and what does tahor mean? Okay. No, it's Tumah means where there is a short circuit of energy. No energy flow. Where there's no energy flow, there's darkness. There's death. There's everything that represents chaos. No light. Now, what is the measurement of a Sa'a? It is one, it's a, a gross of eggs. Average size, average size uh, eggs. 144. That's the exact measurement of a sa'ah of water. In other words, you assemble one, a gross of eggs, 144 eggs, and now you have one sa'ah. 144. sa'ah, and now that you have, you need 40 sa'ah, we said the mikveh. This place of purification must contain 40 sa, so you multiply 40, and you want to know the dimension of the, of the uh, mikveh. You multiply 40 times 144, and if you're a good mathematician, you come out to 5,760. 5,760. Okay? Then he goes into how much, what, what's the weight, very specific, in other words, if you want the exact dimension, uh, it is Yudbei uh, Dinrin, that's a certain, again, a certain weight, it's a certain weight, and uh, then you know if, if that's the exact measurement of the uh, Sa'a. And because, continues Avraham Azulai, because a person is Murkabi, Dalaj Yisodot, ain't taroto And if you want the removal of this Tumah, these forces, 400 forces, 400 classes of evil of Tumah, only with water. And why? And he brings the verse of uh, Zechariah. Mitlisha Hatumah Ruach Komro Betruach Hatumah Avim Minaaretz. 
Here Zechariah is talking about the coming of Mashiach and the coming of the resurrection of the dead. And it says, and in that day, that time, the spirit of uncleanliness, the spirit, we're not talking about it because that's why uh, some people think, well, look, if I take a bath, I get clean. Therefore, he's making, he's stressing the point that we're not discussing here uncleanliness in, in terms of mud or dirt or whatever. We're talking about the forces, the forces of Tumah, not merely dirt. Dirt is not Tumah. Because tumah does not mean unclean, it does not mean dirt. It means forces of short-circuitness. And haruach ein b'tivo l'kaneh b'toch ha-mayim. Kisha tumah nechna b'toch ha-mayim, nishlach menu otoruach ha-tumah. Because what happens if this force, a living force, like a bacteria, like a virus, whatever. Those are all forces of chaos. When they come in contact with water, when they come in contact with water, the spirit of this force, I mean, there's a force. It's like a, an automobile. You have a motor. You take away the motor, you don't have a force of an automobile you may have. That's the same idea, says Avram Azulai. This force of Tumah, the force, when it comes in contact, just comes in contact with water, immediately disappears. It is evaporated. It is vaporized. No longer does it exist. Therefore, the only way to remove, the only way to remove these forces is through water. And he brings other places where the idea of, of water is uh, is concerned. Now comes a little, but you're familiar with the idea. What is the power of water? In other words, we can accept what he said, and that, that's <coughs> enough, but we know that any, the forces that we can make use of, that's why when Moshe makes announcements, we're entering into this level of consciousness, that level. I mean, like, what's the reason for mentioning all, all these things? I mean, let's just do our prayers and so on. Because Moshe knows that if you don't have that in, in your consciousness, and you're just doing the thing, but there is no consciousness, because like science says, like the Zohar says, the reality of everything is, is consciousness. That determines what goes on. Only consciousness. There's nothing more than consciousness. The physical reality is what we call illusionary. It comes and goes like, a, like the body of a person. Like the Zohar says, this week's portion. What, what's the body? Doesn't mean a person's dead when the body is buried? When the body de is decomposed? Is that death? No. Because the soul keeps going on. The, the bodies come and go. They are part of that illusionary realm. Illusionary realm meaning today it's here, tomorrow it's gone, it comes back again, etc. What is the force of water? Now, the force of water comes It comes from the level of Chachma. 
You all know about the tetragrammaton. It's essential that you, you know the, that what the letters represent. The Yud represents... The Yud represents... We have a blackboard, maybe... Uh, uh, a little spell... Ah, yes. Okay, Moshe, that's right. Yud, Yud Vav Dawid is Yud. That's how it's spelled out. You know, every letter in Hebrew, every letter in Hebrew, you have a letter... Just one letter, Yud. It'll, Moshe will just write one, just the Yud now. Okay? That Yud of the Tetragrammaton represents, represents Chachma, the highest level of the light force. That's the purest level of the light force. Now, the letter Yud spelled out, you know, how do you say Yud? How do you write Yud? The little letter Yud is a letter, but Yud is also spelled out, and we must know this, Yud Vav Dalet. The Vav is like a U. If you know how to read Hebrew, it's Yud. U. Yud Vav Dalet. Yud. That's how it's pronounced. Now in Hebrew, we also know that the spelling out of the letter materializes the letter. Because when I say Yud, you just hear the voice. You hear the sound of the Yud. When it's spelled out, it's materialized. When you hear it, it's not materialized. Yes, sound is in a way materialized. But it's not as materialized as the spelling out. It's called spelling out in, in, in Kabbalah. So we have Yud, Vav, Dalad. Yud. He discusses atoms here and so on, which are incredible. Anyway, a yud also is 144. It's a gross. 144. How? The yudvav dalad, there we can make how many combinations of that of those three letter of those three letter uh, word? Yud Vav Dalet. You can make six combinations. What do I mean by six combinations? You have Yud Vav Dalet. Then you can have Yud Dalet Vav. Yud Dalet Vav. Now we have two. Then you can use those same three letters and to have Vav. Yud Dalet. Vav Dalajud. Is everybody following this? It's, it's very essential. Remember, Yud represents Chachma, and Yud is the purest form of the light force. Okay? Now you have the Dalad. Dalad Yud Vav. And Dalad. Vav Yud. And now we have all of the conceivable or feasible uh, combinations of this three-letter word. Okay? And you have six combinations. Six combinations. If you add up these six combinations, because each letter we know in Hebrew, each letter in Hebrew 
represents a number. What does it mean? It means a number. Now you ask a physicist to say, the language of, of mathematics. What is the language of math? Numbers. Numbers is a power. Numbers represent for us things. Five fingers. You learned why. They're five fingers. What does it mean? There's a power. What's the power? What is the power in the fingers? Well, each one represents a keta chachma bina, and so on. Each letter, each number represents a force. So we have, we have the addition, the total numerical value of these six combinations is 120. Okay, we have now 120. If we added up all of those letters, because this yud ultimately will tell us what the power is behind this yud, of which, of which, this mikveh that we're speaking about seems to correlate to. Okay. And then you have 18 letters. That also says something. Why are there 18 letters? That is also an additional force beside the numeric, total numerical value. But each one, then you have the parts. Then you have the sum of its parts in Kabbalah. There is, um, you, have, you can have 50 strands of, uh, of wire. When you combine the wires, is it, the, is, it, is it 50 times the strength? No, it becomes another value. Another value. So this is the same idea here that we're discussing, just that you understand the, uh, the, the, uh, when the Ari makes this statement, this is where he's getting it from, that we're not just adding up to come to a certain conclusion, but rather the parts, if you add up all the parts, each letter, it comes to 144. Now, each letter is an embodiment of all of those parts. Let's say the Yud. Yud is 10. It combines 10 forces. The Yud itself represents a totality of these 10 forces. All right? So we have 18. And then we have another combination. We've taken the individual. Then we've taken... The collective, now we have another collective. We have six combinations. Six combinations. You have, is everyone following what I'm saying? It's very essential because this is going to create, in, the, in a short period of time, according to him, we're going to create something very revolutionary just by sitting here this morning because this is the first time that I have, I have ever given this, uh, this session. So we have now the six that now combine the 144, combine the 18, and now we have another klal, as we say, another six. There are six combinations. All told, all told together is how much? 144. In other words, it just doesn't by chance add up. But this 144 is what? is the force of the Yud. Not only uh, metaphysically, but physically. When you have a gross, now you know why the idea of gross, who, who came up with the idea of gross? 144. Could we make a gross uh, 8 times 8, 64? 
Well, who, said, who decided on 144 to be a gross? Gross. Right? When you want pencils, you want a gross of pencils. You don't have to say 144, right? You want a gross of this, a gross of that. Everyone knows you mean 144. Who decided on that? Who decided on that? Well, now you know where the original idea is. Because it comes to represent a unit. 144 is not just 12 times 12, but it's a unit. It's a unit. It is the force of 144 eggs. Therefore, what emerges from what we have just learned, that the Sa'ah is likened to the letter Yud. To tell us that each Yud and each Sa, therefore, each Sa can remove, can remove ten, ten kitotatuma. Each Sa, because the Yud is ten, therefore each Yud represents the removal of ten. Just like there's the ten aspects of the light force, as we know, there are ten aspects of the Dark Lord. Everything in this world, everything in this world has a balance, good and evil. If we take the light force, make use of the light force, then we can eliminate the Dark Lord. How do you do that? You do that, first of all, with, your, with the knowledge that is required according to the Zohar, without knowledge, without knowledge, without an act of participation in one wanting to heal themselves. One wants to heal himself. Or if one wants to be healed, he must, he must instill a concentration of consciousness. Without that, there must be a recurrence. This already has been established in science as well. The difference between consciousness of, of, of two people, one has a particular, two people have the same, same ailment. One can recover, the other one doesn't. The only difference is, says science, the attitudes. Attitudes, well what does an attitude mean? An attitude is consciousness. An attitude is consciousness. So, what emerges is that if, if 40 sa, 40 sa are required to remove 400, that means each sa'a removes 10. And when you bring together, you combine 40 sa'a, 40 sa'a of this measurement of water, Yasud may have Therefore, what emerges in every ailment, in every sickness, in every sickness, the totality is 400 levels. 400 levels. 400 levels of the Dark Lord's force called Ruach Hatuma. It's a force. It's a force to remove the totality of those 40 of those 400 levels that are included in every disease, in every uncleanliness, or wherever 
the dark lord has, has latched on, wherever that takes place, it can be removed by 40 sa'a. Then all 40 disappear. It goes on to another part, I'll, I'll, which is not, not pertinent for that. Vidahi says, Kishiur ha-mikvah haim chameshat alafim v'sheva meyot v'shishim beitzim. Now, as we said before, what is the measurement of the mikvah? 5,000. 5,760. And this is what I want to say now. It says Avram Azar. I mean, I gave you a nice combination here of numbers, um, bringing you the relationship between uh, mikveh and the tetragrammaton. What does all this spell up and why water has this power? In the year 5,760, for those of you who do not know which Hebrew year we're in, is 5,753. Now, I never saw this before. I never heard this before, I should say. Never heard this before. Says from the verse in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 6, on this verse says the Zohar, there will be the removal of these Kokotatuma, the forces of Tuma. There will be three resurrections of the dead. First, there will be take place the resurrection of the dead in Israel. Outside of Israel. And then there will be, these two will be for the Jew first, and then the third one will be for all the nations of the world. And this third resurrection that I just mentioned, and all this will take place by the end of 5,760. And this is the week's reading. And now we can understand everything that's mentioned and all of the questions that we raised. This place, Hebron, why is it called Hebron, says the Zohar? And why is it called Kiryat Arba? Four. Four. We were discussing the Tetragrammaton. Four. Now, some say, not, not incorrectly, that the reason Hebron was called Kiryat Arba, the city of four, 
because there was uh, Abraham and uh, uh, Abraham and uh, Sarah, uh, J- uh, Isaac and Rivka, Jacob and uh, Leah, and of course Adam and Eve. These four. So there are four couples there. Four couples. Therefore, it's called Kiryat Arba. He Hebron, Hebron, which is the name of that city where these where they are uh, where they are uh, buried. This is the place that is unified. Coming from the word it says the Zohar, Chibur comes all together, and also says the Zohar. When we ask the question, why does it say one hundred year? Why does it say twenty year? And why does it say seven year? Seven years, says the Zohar. That Mea Shana is like Keter. Means Keter. It's a code. Mea. If you learn the Talmud Esesvirot in the morning, you have you have a straight light and returning light. Giving each of the ten sfirot ten dimensions. Ten times ten is one hundred. That's keta. That's the totality of everything. So says the Zohar. That means the life of Sarah contained keta. Therefore, it says shana because it's all unified. We could, keta is likened to the seed. I guess you've learned that. Keter is likened to the seed. The seed contains the root. The seed contains the trunk. It contains also the end product. Let's say if it was an apple seed, the apple. In the seed, it's all unified. Therefore, says the Zohar, why does it say Meashana? Because that is referring to the number 100. It's not just to give us how many years she lived, but to tell us that within the life of Sarah, Within the life of Sarah, there was Keta, which is unified. And therefore, when we ask, why doesn't it say 100 years? Because it's not referring to how many years. It's referring to a dimension, a force. Mea is Keta. When it says, Ve'esrim shana and 20 year, it doesn't say 20 years. Why doesn't it say 20 years? Because again, we're talking about Chachma and Bina. Chachma and Bina do not, do not combine as two separate forces, but as one unified force, which was also present in Sarah. Therefore, it says Shana, instead of plural, because everything that is mentioned in the Torah as being plural, it means now there's division. Now there's division. In Chachma and Bina, there is no division. That's the energy store that we strive on Yom Kippur to achieve. You've heard the word energy store because that that always is in circuitry. Never in short-circuitness. Chachma and Bina, certainly Keter is never in short-circuitness. They're all living combined as one unified whole. Therefore, the word is only Shana. Therefore, Esrim Shana, meaning 20, representing Chachma and Bina, each one having 10 subdivisions of itself, and therefore you have 20, just to give you uh, a little more insight into that even though it's 20, but they are in constant circuitry, like the seed. 
What is constant circuitry? It contains all. It's not subdivided. Like we say about tomorrow, yesterday, and today. That's fragmentation. If there is a tomorrow and a, and a yesterday, there is fragmentation. And if you're connected to Chachman Bina, there is no tomorrow, yesterday, and today. There is no fragmentation. There is one unified whole. Why does it say seven years? Because in our dimension, in our world, of the seven, Svirat, that's where you have years. What does it mean, years? That's where you have fragmentation. Shnei <clears throat> Chayesa, this was Sarah's life, meaning she was combined of all of the Svirat, where? In Hebron. In her, there was no fragmentation. Therefore, says the Zohar about the story about she spoke to Sarah she spoke to Eve Eve left and so on because these people these people represent how how the resurrection of the dead can come about they were they were not they were not dead they never died they still live there today we know that there is death, says the Zohar. The death is, is an illusion. I mentioned this once before, I think here. That, you know, when we bury a person, yes, yes that, in fact, I mentioned it to, uh, to uh, Karen. It, it struck me at this funeral this week. I, I paid more attention to this because I was putting this consciousness in together with with uh, all of our people here who were present at that time because obviously this was a significant death. When, when I noticed when that casket was being lowered, just as it was begun to be lowered, it was a wail. Everyone felt the pain at that moment. I asked myself, and, and, and that's usually, uh, I've been to other funerals, now I recall. That's the time when the family, the close ones, become aroused. As now the person is leaving. But he died a few days ago. Hmm? What's happening now more than what happened in the intervening moments or the intervening days from the, day, from the moment of death to now being buried? The person's dead already. You know what? What's happening now that everyone becomes aroused by now the, this person is, is leaving. Now he's leaving. Zohar says, when it discusses the death of, of, uh, of uh, the uh, Yaakov, Abraham, doesn't say they died. It says they were gathered. They were gathered. It says the Zohar. When that body, and I, I, I'm trying to, I, I, this is how I could only answer why at that moment everyone is aroused and everyone feels the end. At that moment, see, as long as that body is, is in, the, in the coffin, the body is still here. 
the moment it's, it's disappearing into the earth, it's no longer here. What's happening? Ozoa says, with Avram, Yaakov, they never died. What does it mean they never died? Sarah never died. Here she's having a conversation with, says the Zohar. I mean, we don't know that from the Torah, but I read you the Zohar. That Sarah's having a conversation with Eve. Eve ran out, Eve ran out of her home. Remember, she ran out. She says, I'm, I can't live here. I got to live somewhere else. You know, and then she prayed, no, be together with us. And that's why we call it Kevron, because they're all living as a family unit. Right? In that place, as one family unit. This is the way that Zoe describes it. And so, when the, when, the earth, when the earth is placed on this coffin, now the coffin is out of sight. But let's look at the other side of the coin. We are also out of sight of the deceased, aren't we? Now, who's out of sight of whom? And since, and since we live in a world of illusion, who is living in the world of fragmentation? Who? Okay. Okay. We are. Because this is the world of illusion. That means we think that person is gone. This is part of the consciousness of living in the world of illusion. But by the same token, that person who's being buried, he's looking at us now saying, you people are living in the world of illusion. I no longer am. And therefore, this whole uh, exchange of consciousness is taking place as that person is being taken away from this realm. I asked, what, what's happening? I mean, you know, same thing happened a few days ago. You know, person died. All of a sudden, now, the person is disappearing. He just, didn't he die a few days ago? No. That consciousness of the other party being buried, as the Zohar says, when that person is lowered into, when Avram was lowered into the grave, it was that the world of fragmentation was gone. And therefore it says, Vahi Chayesara, she lived. She lived. These are the years of living of Sarah. What does it mean? She never died. Therefore the whole, almost the entire Zohar, on this week's portion, I won't have enough time, I thought I would have enough time, is talking about Chiyatametin, resurrection of the dead. Now resurrection of the dead, mentioned in other parts of the Zohar, is not only referring to, uh, uh, you know, with the dead literally rise. Now we, we should also understand another thing. Resurrection of the dead that we all hope, you know, so we can see, it means more than just meeting up with your old relatives. It also, or with your father and mother, children, cousin Shalom, maybe. It also means Bilahamavit Lanetzach. It means what? That death no longer takes place. I mean, what's the use of having the force of death take place? And then immediately you're resurrected. I mean, that, that, that isn't the game that the, the Dark Lord wants to play. I mean, he wants to play the game of death. That's, that's his purpose. And as Zechariah said, at that time, the force, the force of Tumah, the force of the Dark Lord will be eliminated. 
this week's portion. And within minute, when we asked the question about, I mean, the 400 shekel, if you remember, what was that about? 400 shekel. This whole section is not dealing with how to purchase a, a burial plot. The whole idea, and why was his name Ephron, which I didn't hear, Ephron, coming from the word Afar, dust. He was the death, he was representing or symbolizing for us the Dark Lord. To remove him, to remove his ownership, right? What was happening when he would give him the 400 shekel? The ownership now would transfer to Avraham. Right? So we read the story. Not the story. To remove the ownership, to remove the dark Lord from our presence requires this idea of 400. 400 what? The removal of the 400 forces of Tumah. And because of Avram Azulai, how do we, how can we remove it? One, one of the one of the, of course, it's, we have to be like Sarah, too. I mean, we just can't keep killing people, and stealing and lying and doing all of the, uh, the things that we should not be doing. But someone who has already now wants to do what we call tshuva. He wants to start a, a new clean slate. What does he do with all of these forces of Tumah that he had accumulated? The mikveh says Avram Azulai. The 400. To remove the 400. <coughs> these 400 levels of Tumah. That's what it means when he gave him the 400. He was removing from himself. He was removing from himself Ephron. Okay, when he gives him the 400, right? Then he himself no longer is connected with him and so on. All of the ideas that emerge just from this, what we call the sale of a burial plot. To remove and to have Tchiyat HaMetim. Outside of the idea that, according to Avram Azulai, that's less than seven years from today. Less than seven years from today. And he said it'll be in stages. He said the last will be then. But, what this part, this week's reading, and why it's so significant, and and, and every year that I read it, I never understood why, you know, the Zohar could put the all aspects of Tchiyat HaMetim. There's many more. Many more. And I urge you, I think it's translated into English not as, not as intensely as, uh, as, uh, as uh, Rabbi Ashlag explains it. But that's the mikveh. This immersion into these Minimum of 40 saw creates a form of, of resurrection of the dead. Meaning the removal of the force of, of uh, Tumah. There is nothing, I mean, nothing that we can do that can equal the removal of the, of the, of the, uh, of the Dark Lord. Nothing. As, as the Mikveh, that's what uh, emerges from what... Uh, what we have studied today. That is, that is, there, there is, there are some other parts here, but I, I, I think, I think that's what really what we want to, uh, what we'd like to 
draw from from this reading. And that will take place on Shabbat. Now we just uh, it explains too when it says, "Listen, my lord, what's you know, Beni What is this four hundred between me and you?" What he's saying, the difference between me and you is the 400. That's the difference. The difference between life and death, the difference between illness and health is 400. Therefore, many parts of the Zohar, now when you read, whether you read it in Hebrew, you read it in English, it says 400 worlds separate us from, from God. Many, many aspects, 400. 400. Do you remember in uh, when Asab, when uh, when Yaakov had had uh, fled from his brother and he'd gone to, married uh, Rachel and Leah, and then in Vayishlach it says. And Yaakov sent angels to his brother. You know, let, you know. Let's let's get together. You know, high time we finished our feud uh, between us, right? And then tells us here about a whole story. And it says that uh, I'm just looking for the verse that you can. But anyway. Do you remember how many people he came with, uh, Asa? 400 people. I was just looking for the word. He came with 400 people. came with 400 people. That's what the Torah says. Now he's coming against Yaakov because he really wants to annihilate Yaakov. Now, if you've learned already, uh, if you've read a little Zohar from the Zohar, you know, again, if you treat the Torah as as storytelling, then... Like the rest of the world, not interested. You know, as Rabbi Shimon said on many occasions, he says, if this is all that the Torah was, was making an attempt is to tell us or provide us with a recording of history, to tell us stories, he said he knew, he knew writers in his days that could write far better stories, this was his words, than the Torah. Far better stories. Therefore, he says, everything mentioned in the Torah represents a cosmic code. For what reason? That this should be our roadmap today. Is there a roadmap? What am I supposed to do today? This is the roadmap. Anyway, it says there that also he came with 400 people. He came with 400 people. Why 400? Again, Esav is another representation, another story. Another story on how we can eliminate, we can eliminate the forces of evil. Wherever there is chaos, wherever there is chaos, wherever there is chaos, we should be learning, should be studying, should be receiving the energy by which we can have the proper consciousness to do to do things, whatever we have to do, in the removal of the of the dark lord. And and mikveh is certainly uh, one of those steps. And with today's study, hopefully we shall achieve tchiat ametim. Not someday in the future, because 
in seven, seven, less than seven years, it'll be the uh, the uh, total resurrection. Meaning, those I wasn't sure. Does it mean then there'll be the automatic resurrection, or does it mean it'll take this period? And you know, not everyone's going to be convinced that uh, they can heal themselves. I mean, that's one of the worst things that I can try to convince people about that you know that from their illness they can just with a little consciousness, maybe a little liquid, get out of it. I mean, that's too simple. I mean, it doesn't mean no more going to a doctor, no more going to a hospital. I mean, does, are you trying to take away all of those pleasures, you know, and all of those activities from life that we're all accustomed to? I mean, you know, we need, you know. So it's not, and it's not that easy. Not everyone will be convinced that um, maybe, maybe we can do these things by ourselves. So I'm not sure if it means everyone will come to that consciousness and begin to tap the energies that are required to to uh, to bring mikveh to this to this point although we hear many stories of of how the reading of the zohar certainly that's why we recommend everyone should scan if you can't read it at minimum everyone i want to repeat again should scan the zohar in the morning the weekly portion if that's why there is a weekly portion, they just didn't decide that uh, nobody wants to hang out. You know, if, you ha- if, Moses, if Moshe had to read the whole uh, Torah, you know, uh, each week, I mean, it would take too long. No one would come to the synagogue, so they decided to split it up into 52 weeks. Obviously, you know, that's not the reason that they split it up, so it would be convenient, so we don't have to listen to the whole reading of the Torah you know, all in one week, but that each week already was destined by the years, and so on. I mean, if this is the year 5,753 in the, in, the, in the solar calendar, this doesn't come out every year in the same week. And that was already, that was already planned in advance by the sages. When they split it up, knowing that in, in 5,753, that we would be sitting here this week, the week of of uh, Avram Azulai's death anniversary, to study Chaye Sarah, because on the calendar it'll be November uh, uh, November today's uh, the nineteenth uh, tomorrow uh, uh, tomorrow uh, I think it's to Friday or tomorrow Kavdalid. What is today in Hebrew? Uh, well, what it's it's twenty fourth day of. Uh, we made a mistake in the calendar, but it's the only mistake in the calendar. You know, the, the calendar of the center? Death anniversary is wrong. It's the only one. It's written there 21, but this, this, uh, uh, this is, we took it from uh, other calendars, you know, many hundreds of years old. They recorded it 21. And then in this book I just read you from, it says, you know, his book, you know, that the, the, that, uh, the one who, put out this book, you know, read in his right, you know, uh, read about people who were living in his time that he died on the, uh, on the 24th. Also very strange. But we know that each week, each week, in each year, and it doesn't always come out, we, this is the energy we need for this week. To con- connect with that is the reading of the Zohar on that particular portion. That's why we read the Zohar. That's why when it comes out this week, this week is significant. This week, and that's the reason I wanted to spend the time, this week can, can push out into the cosmos the consciousness of of, uh, of Tchiet HaMetim. 
the the uh, the uh, resurrection of arms, teeth, everything. You talk about resurrection. You talk about going back in time and, and everything else. Where that's why uh, through this reading, and the age the age span now has gone up to eighty one. Only only one hundred fifty years ago, it was thirty seven, and and even science admits that they have not created the light the the lengthy lifespan had gone down 150 years ago to 37 was the average age span now it's up to 81 and it took from adam or from from joseph 110 years or from moses 120 years it took 3000 years to go down to 37 and now in 150 years it's gone up to uh, it's gone up by 42 years just in the span of 150 years. And this, by this consciousness, we speed up the process. We speed up the process. That's why there's always discussing this in Pashat Sarah, the life of Sarah. Not the death of Sarah, which should have been the name of the, uh, of the uh, reading, right? The, de- the life of Sarah should have been the death of Sarah, because we're discussing that. Now, coming to the last question, which... As I said, uh, I have not found uh, a, uh, a satisfactory answer as to what does Rashi mean, and all other commentators say that when she heard that uh, that day that he was he was taking uh, <coughs> uh, Adam uh, uh, Isaac for the binding. Now we have to understand he didn't get there in one day. This is all coming through me because I really don't know what the answer is yet. It took three days. So when did she hear it? You mean three days later? It took him three days to get there. When did she hear this? And she died. She died of, you know, of, of aggravation. And you die in one day. You will die in one day. You know, it's just not all logical. And we do know that she died the day. She died the day. She died the day that of the Akedah. We know that. She died that day. (coughs) What it really means is not that she died that day. Not that she died that day. But in that day, she instilled life into the world. Why? Because what is Akedat Yisrael? And that, incidentally, that's, that was the other condition. The people who want to completely heal themselves, meaning to, to remove the Ruach HaTumah, the, the Dark Lord Spirit, to remove it, he says it must, it must also include, it must also include the central column. People must begin to restrict. Akedah, we know, means restriction. Restriction. That because she, the restriction took place, that was the day that that life buds, life springs up. That's why it's called Chaye Sarah. This is the answer. This is the other condition which the Zohar mentions, that when a person dies and he does and he does not go to to hell or whatever, whatever all those things mean, it means that if a person had been exercising restriction, then he doesn't die. 
He doesn't die. The body is intact. We know that. Now, if we dug up the graves of, of uh, righteous people, as the Nazis did, they did that out of, out of uh, sacrilegious and uh, didn't care to deface, uh, you know, cemetery. They dug up graves of certain people and they found the bodies intact. And this was not done through mummification and so on. We know that the, the bodies of Tzadikim do not disintegrate. They do not disintegrate. They do not disintegrate. And the, way, and the reason they do not disintegrate is because of the central column, says the Zohar. That's why these people still live. We just discussed about a discussion between Eve and, and uh, Sarah. They, they literally live. They, they, their bodies were not decomposed. I would not be surprised about this uh, this funeral that we attended. That this body will not be decomposed. Thank